Folks, we did it. San Diego County is now off of the state's COVID-19 watch list. However, due to changes made to state mandates several months ago, removal from the list doesn't mean that we re-reopen. The removal begins a 14-day period in which the county epidemic must not worsen. And if it does, we will return to square one. Here's where the pandemic stands in San Diego County. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Paul Sisson, you've been the lead writer on the COVID-19 pandemic, covering every in and outs of this ongoing story. Can you explain what is this watch list and what was it meant to do? Right. So uh, a month or so, a little more than a month ago, it, in certain places in California, San Diego included, uh, they started to see the numbers increasing. Uh, and so the state took action and created this kind of Byzantine, complicated way of monitoring everybody. They have six different categories that they're keeping a watch on, everything from the number of cases you have per 100,000 residents over to the percentage of ICU beds and hospital beds you have available in your county. So this is the idea here is that the state can spot situations where trends are going in the wrong direction quickly and then pull back on the amount of social interaction that's allowed in these communities. And the idea is that then you will be able to uh, control the outbreak, uh, you know, and keep it from getting out of control. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. But with California being such a large place with, you know, big cities and rural areas, this one size fits all approach doesn't work. So it kind of makes sense that the state really has to tackle this problem on the county by county level. That's right. So one county can go on and one county can come off. And, uh, you know, the, the rule is that if you are able to sustain all six of their uh, thresholds for three straight days, you can come off the list. If you then go out of compliance for three straight days, you go back on the list. Uh, so you could have this seesaw kind of situation. And, and that's what our local leaders have been saying, you know, as we come off the list now, please, guys, don't go crazy. We don't want to just seesaw back and forth and be on and off the list constantly. Our best chance of getting uh, getting businesses to move back indoors and resume some kind of semblance of normalcy is to keep these numbers that the state is watching uh, below their uh, level of concern. Yeah, it does make sense when you think about it kind of zoomed out is that if the number of infections gets to a point in which contact tracing and isolation could actually work, we could resume to an almost normal life. But if you have hundreds and hundreds of cases each day, there's no way, you know, the current system can keep up. And, you know, that kind of requires a lockdown. Right. Yeah. Everybody differs a little bit on exactly what that number of cases per day uh, should be. Um, A lot of the folks that I've spoken to in recent weeks have said, you know, if we could just be at a hundreds kind of level like we were in the spring, uh, you know, now that we, now that the hospitals hospitals have figured out how to treat this uh, in, a, in a better way, uh, you know, we could probably relax a lot of this stuff. So it's uh, you know, and, and of course, then the schools uh, and parents are are really uh, champing at the bit to uh, to get kids back in schools. Mm-hmm. And over the past, uh, I'd say almost week, there's been lots of hemming and hawing over the case rate because there's the state case rate, there's the county case rate. Can you explain that controversy? Yeah, we were playing a little state rate, uh, uh, county rate bingo there for a while. Um, so the county is the uh, you know, decider here. They calculate what the, what the rate is per 100,000 residents. Um, 
our local health department for reasons that I'm still not quite clear on does their own calculation and they include slightly different types of cases. For example, one that they've highlighted is uh, prison populations, uh, jail populations, uh, incarcerated inmates. Uh, we include them in our case rate calculations here in San Diego, uh, but they, they don't include them in the state number. So therefore you every day have a, a slightly different uh, number at the state versus in San Diego. Uh, for our purposes, in terms of these metrics, really what matters is what the state rate is, what the state decides the rate is. Uh, so, you know, last week we had a situation where uh, the state was calculating the rate and we, we dropped under the 100 threshold on Wednesday and continued to be under it on Thursday and Friday. Uh, so then logic would dictate that we would have come off the state list on Saturday. Uh, we found out Monday, uh, the, the start of this week, uh, that uh, Dr. Wooten, the public health officer, had received a call from a state, state epidemiologist um, on Sunday saying, actually, your, your day one was Saturday. Uh, we've recalculated last week's rates. Uh, and what, what happened was we, we have discovered some additional cases that were caught up in the big uh, backlog at the state that you may recall from a couple weeks ago. Uh, and so we have allocated some additional uh, cases to San Diego County in that 14-day period that we used to calculate the case rate. And so therefore, now your case rates last week were all over 100. So your clock didn't start until Saturday instead of Wednesday. So it's just amazing how our lives are now governed by these odd statistics that uh, nobody ever seems to completely, every time you think you have them fully understand, understood, uh, there's another strange wrinkle that pops up. Yeah, I will say over the past several weeks, uh, our readers have become a lot better at Excel than they used to be, getting lots of feedback over, you know, any slight change or calculation, depending on, you know, which population you use, how you do the math. And it's, you know, confusing because people are so anxious. Yeah, you know, I, I think I've seen that as well. You're our data guy, and so you uh, you are putting the numbers together daily for our excellent online charts. And if people haven't seen those, they should they should look at them. They're very good. Um, but you know, people want to people want to try to calculate this case rate at home, and they were they were simply looking at the number of cases reported every day by the county, and it turned out that oh no, we're not using the number that we ourselves are reporting every day. We're using an entirely different number that is actually called the episode date for each case. And that is the intended to be pretty much the earliest point that, uh, that the virus started to cause symptoms. And there's a whole hierarchy of dates within that that they use to calculate that episode date. So it was literally not possible uh, for an average person at home following along to just pull out Excel and kind of figure this out on their own because those episode dates were not available uh, However, uh, for those who are interested, uh, the county is now uh, posting them on the uh, SAN GIS repository. So you can download them yourself and actually do the math yourself if you want. Uh, now, now we know what the episode date is, so we can now do the math ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's like it's one thing to you know play around with the data, but when you have confusion like this, it does have an effect. It does kind of undermine some of the social contract that people have with these health agencies. People want concrete answers. And unfortunately, pandemics are a time in which we only have, you know, half formed answers. Right. And the data, it just needs to add up at the end of the day when people go and look at it. I mean, we have a lot of really smart people in this county. We have a lot of uh, people who have been well trained in statistics, uh, you know, because a lot of them are in high tech jobs, biotech, especially engineering as well. And, and you know, uh, these folks expect the numbers to add up and make sense. And, and if there is 
some sort of situation where part of it just doesn't quite connect that just opens up a divide like you say uh, in people's minds and they start to question everything uh, that is coming out of an agency so you know this stuff is tough it's also tough you know because there's such a lag time in terms of reporting test results uh, and as we found out in monday's press conference with the county local labs either run by the county run by hospitals run by uh helix uh, a local company that the uh, county is contracted with, they're able to return results in a, a day or two or three. Uh, but if those uh, test uh, samples are going out to a commercial lab like Quest or LabCorp, you, you know, we have been historically seeing much, much longer delays for those uh, test be results being returned. And, um, you know, that is very frustrating for people. And it's very frustrating for the epidemiologists in terms of we're reporting to you 500 cases today, but actually 200 of those were lagged by two weeks because the commercial labs didn't tell us about them until yesterday. <laughs> and that's a really hard thing to consistently communicate to the public. Either you're going to give them a daily number that goes up every day, or you're going to lag everything by a week until you're sure of the numbers, and then nobody's going to be happy with you because your numbers are always a week or two behind. Uh, so they're kind of in a no-win situation there in terms of trying to communicate in real time uh, when their information doesn't always arrive in real time. Sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And going back to what we're hearing from the state, uh, do we expect to have further guidance about when more businesses can reopen? Because we did have that period of time in which the rules were loosened, but that caused a big spike, and then we really backtracked. And as of now, it appears that only K-12 schools could reopen if we stay off the watch list for you know the next 14 days. Yeah, that's right. Um, what we heard from the governor in his press conference today uh, was stay tuned for more. As he's been saying, um, we, we still don't have any concrete uh, information on exactly when that's going to happen. Everybody wants to know, uh, you know, right there in the health order uh, from last month, it indicates that, uh, that it is the state's ultimate decision on when businesses and, and organizations can start moving back inside again. Um, he indicated in his press conference today that it's probably going to be more of a gradual move back indoors. Uh, you know, I think that they're going to be probably looking, and this is what the governor seemed to indicate, that we're going to start with the ones where we think there is the least risk of transmission. And we're mm -hmm. going to move toward the ones where there is more risk of transmission. And we're going to do it in a phased approach where we can see at each step, okay, did that step cause a spike in cases? No. All right, let's move to the next one. Did that one cause a spike in cases? No. So if you, if you, the theory is at least that if you do it more gradually and give yourself a little time for the numbers to catch up, you can spot the areas where there's going to be a problem. Uh, so that seems to be the overall idea. The, the governor was saying that he expected more guidance on that next week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's lots of frustration with this approach, but it certainly beats reopening and have to close again. Like I'm thinking about, you know, those students at UNC who moved in and now they have to, you know, move back home because their, their classes are now online and people who are expecting football and that went away. And that's what happens when you don't have a plan that you can use science that, that really understand where the pandemic is and where it isn't. Yeah, like it seems like you need... Really what you need is uh, perfect buy-in from the public to really own these infection control methods and to really wear their masks and really avoid sharing surfaces and really 
stay spread out. And if you can't actually, you know, college kids, you and I went to college, uh, you know, college isn't always a place where everybody keeps their perfect distance and, uh, you know, follows the rules just perfectly. So college is a really tough, um, mm. like, tough nut to crack. And especially if you're going first. Mm-hmm. And going back to kind of the situation in the pandemic itself, I believe we last had a podcast about uh, two and a half weeks ago. What has been the broad kind of story of COVID-19 in San Diego County for August so far? August um, has looked better. You know, we've had uh, many days under, they say that to get under the 100 per 100,000 threshold that the governor is holding us accountable for, you need to have fewer than 240 cases per day. And there have been a fair number of days in the last week where we have indeed done that. Some some days in, indeed have been below 100. But again, remember, those are uh, the dates that the cases are being reported. Um, I was doing a little analysis on the episode dates that they've released, and it looks like uh, definitely you can kind of really see the, the days in the most recent week or two kind of slimming down. Uh, so it does really seem like we have less volume coming in. Really what's encouraging is the hospital uh, numbers. If you've been watching those at all, uh, you've seen, you know, last month we were well over 400 uh, COVID patients in local hospital beds on any given day, um, and sometimes verging all the way up to 500, definitely kind of the mid uh, 400s, you know, and that wasn't really a massive challenge for our local uh, hospitals, you know, cumulatively, cumulatively they've, uh, They've got over 6,000 beds, so it wasn't like COVID. It was ever really consuming a massive amount of our local hospital capacity, but we definitely have seen in the last week or two, uh, probably the last week, numbers drop below 300. So we've got about 150 patient uh, swing in terms of the numbers of heads and beds on any given day. So that that is encouraging. I mean... That is the reason why we're doing all the social distancing is to keep the hospitals from getting overwhelmed. And it certainly seems like they've figured out how to do that. Yeah, whenever I see that ICU number uh, jump down, I get a little worried because it could mean either it turned out really well or it turned out really poorly. So you kind of have to wait until you have the whole entire picture to see how things are going. Because it is worth noting that at least one San Diegan has died every single day since March 29th, which is a fact that you know, can kind of get lost in the weeds. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that is a uh, sobering fact, you know, and uh, I had a little uh, encounter with this in my own family a couple of weeks ago where uh, a beloved, a couple of family members uh, picked it up and um, really hit you at home. And, um, and you know, when, when you watch a loved one maybe having to go into the hospital and struggling with the fact that if they do, they're not going to be able to have their loved one with them because nobody's allowed to visit still. Uh, you know, it really underlines the fact that a lot of people really are still suffering, whether even whether or not they're ending up in the hospital, just, uh, you know, watching over their shoulder as they were checking their pulse uh, oxygen rates, you know, several times a day. And, and we're all hoping that their oxygen rates just don't start to plummet, you know, just sitting there and, and, and making those calculations every day with a family member is extremely stressful especially in a situation where you also can't leave your house yeah it's it's truly insurmountable the amount of stress and grief that we're all feeling for all of the changes that we've been in in these period of time because you know 
we haven't faced this in several generations. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, they, they keep using the word unprecedented and it's starting to get a little old, but I don't think there's a better word really. Uh, none of us have ever been through this before and, uh, Gosh, I sure hope we aren't again. I hope this is our one shot for uh, for a while. Uh, hopefully, we can figure out how to get a lasso around this thing and make it go mm-hmm. away. And also, uh, there were some changes uh, to kind of the testing protocol. Uh, can you explain what those changes were? Sure. Uh, mostly minor changes. Um, you may recall back in April uh, when testing finally became wide and widely enough available that like local hospital labs could do it and the local public health lab could do it you know you you might remember before uh, they were having to send all of their uh, test samples all the way back to the cdc in atlanta and there was multi-week lag to find out if somebody was uh, positive um so so once we started to get some local testing capacity and hospital labs and the public health lab could could do thousands of tests per day um they created kind of a stratified priority list that, that said, all right, you know, if you have to make a decision about who to test and who not to test, if you don't have enough tests to test everybody, here's, here is the hierarchy that we want you to follow uh, with hospitalized patients being the absolute highest uh, and going all the way down to what they call surveillance testing, where you're testing people who don't have any symptoms and have no reason to expect uh, necessarily that they were uh infected by anybody but are just curious to know if they would test positive uh and so so this hierarchy has existed and so they updated it uh monday afternoon um one of the main things is they pulled uh healthcare workers with symptoms out of the the most the highest tier moved it down a tier um the idea there was yeah we should probably make sure these tests go to uh folks in high risk groups so those with chronic illness those who have symptoms and are and are clearly at higher risk of severe covid complications uh than any any healthcare worker who tests positive um a lot of healthcare workers uh really are paying close attention to their own health and they know how to do that but not only that they're all told to stay home if they have a symptom so they're kind of self-regulating in that way. As soon as they have a symptom, they're calling in sick. They're not coming into work. Uh, now, certainly if you were a healthcare worker and you were in a high-risk group, like you had diabetes or you were over 65 or what have, what have you, you would still be considered to be, uh, you know, at the top tier and, and needing it and prioritized the highest for testing. Um, another, another area that's interesting is this whole area of asymptomatic testing. You know, we've we had uh, in late June and early July, you may remember seeing those long lines all over the country of people waiting in those drive-up uh, testing centers to, to get tested. And then, and then following that, we had massive lags at the commercial labs and some of the local labs as well. Uh, there was just this huge number of samples that were collected. Everybody was freaking out a little bit, and they were coming in to get tested, even if, you know, maybe they really were just kind of what they call the, the worried well, people who really have no super concrete reason to think they might have this, but they're just worried. Uh, and so a lot of that testing then ended up creating its own strange benchmark because a lot of people would get tested, the test would come back negative, and then they would start showing t- symptoms, go in and find out they had it. So now you have like a whole social media um, genre of comments that are saying, you know, these tests are inaccurate. And really what was going on there is that we were just simply testing people too soon. Uh, these uh, PCR 
tests rely on a fair amount of virus in your nose in order to, to show if you have the disease. There has to be virus there for the test to replicate uh, to a large enough amount that it can actually detect its presence. Um, so so the, the latest guidance is very clear in terms of testing people who are asymptomatic to wait until they've till five to seven days from exposure before you send them in for a test. Uh, the thought is that five to seven days after exposure is really the very good amount of time where you have a, a good chance of having a fair amount of virus replicated in your body uh, so that when they do take that sample, it's more likely to be accurate. So that's that's one thing that's really emphasized in these guidelines, and it seems to make, you know, from the doctors I talked to yesterday and the day before, it seems like a lot of a lot of uh, medical professionals have been very interested in tightening that down a little bit. Hmm. Makes sense. And uh, finally, uh, when considering the kind of you know thirty thousand foot view of this pandemic, be it within you know hospitals or within local leaders. How would you describe the mood right now? Because the numbers are looking better for August, but this disease takes a long time for symptoms to show up. So it's not like it's immediately gone. How are people feeling in this kind of phase in which things are getting better on paper, but we're no way out of the woods yet? Yeah, you know, uh, from the folks who run the uh, the daily or the, the weekly uh, briefings on uh, on the latest uh, COVID situation, uh, and we have one at 2.30 today, um, they are, of course, working hard to tamp down enthusiasm. They know that if everybody sees us as a reason to party, we're going to be right back on that list in five minutes. So, uh, you know, the, the message coming from kind of the county main apparatus is, you know, yes, this is good. We're off the list. Yes, this is progress forward, but we got to stay disciplined. We got to stay frosty here and not uh, not get out of control. Um, we haven't heard as much. Um, we haven't necessarily seen champagne corks popping from those uh, leaders who, who have been critical of the entire public health approach. Uh, you know, those who are saying, you know, this is just all a ridiculous amount of uh, overreaction. Um, we haven't seen them really holding a lot of huge press conferences and, and demanding, you know, immediate release of all of the um, restrictions. I'm not sure why that is. If I had to guess, I guess I would say that maybe maybe it's just that it's pretty clear at this point that the state, through their emergency declaration, is driving this ship, and the state really is not going to budge um, from its uh, current course. And at least at the local level, there doesn't appear to be enough frustration to get the local leaders to risk going against the state and suffering through whatever budget, you know, significant multi-million dollar budget consequences there might be uh, from doing that. So I think it's a, maybe it's just a sense of a little bit of a stalemate there. It's like, okay, let's just, once we're out, out of the list, let's see where we go from there and let's see if we can get some kind of, you know, better information from the governor on what that's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the collective message is we're in this zone, don't screw it up we can get schools back that is a big step towards normalcy yeah what a, what an interesting time to to just literally be asking three million people to all kind of act as one <laughs> yeah. uh you know 
I hope I, it would be very heartening to, to see everybody able to do that. Um, I think a lot of people have. Um, so, you know, I mean, clearly a lot of people have because we've seen the numbers drop. So mm -hmm. that's kind of where I view that. All right. Paul Sisson, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you're curious about how Greater San Diego is working toward building a new future after the pandemic and protest, listen to the UT's Luis Cruz on Together San Diego. Join in on conversations with activists, nonprofits, and companies who are finding out ways this moment can change San Diego for the better. Listen in on Facebook. For a guide to all of our live streaming programming, check out the schedule on uniontrib.com. Until next time.